Do you believe in the existence of witches? Ah, I have known some women who are said to be witches. Really? I've studied the phenomenon for a long time. I'm of the opinion that it is an important appendage of contemporary psychiatry. Uh, you're skeptical, my dear. Well, uh, frankly, it is a little hard to believe. What do witches do? They are malefic, negative and destructive. Their knowledge of the art of the occult gives them tremendous powers. They can change the course of events and people's lives, but only to do harm. You don't believe me? No. Their goal is to accumulate great personal wealth, but that can only be achieved by injury to others. They can cause suffering, sickness, and even the death of those who, for whatever reason, have offended them. Why do you have all this interest in the occult? Because some friends spoke to me about witches. I read some stuff. Have you ever heard of Helena Marcus? Oh, yes, she was a very famous black queen. A powerful witch with a tremendous talent for doing evil. A real mistress of magic. She lived and died in this city. Did you know that? Yes. And might there exist a guild of witches? The correct term would be a coven of witches. A woman becomes queen if her magic is a hundred times more powerful than the rest of the coven, which is like a serpent. Its strength rests with its leader, that is, with its head. A coven deprived of its leader is like a headless cobra, harmless. Skepticism is the natural reaction of people nowadays, but magic is ever-present. In other words, quandum obique, quandum semper, quandum ad omnibus, creditor est, which means that magic is everywhere and all over the world. It's a recognized fact, always. Your lies. Miss Ivanova! No, 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 no. It's okay. 
Let's face this. Patricia is gone, Olga. We don't know where. If she's gone into hiding, she wouldn't have told us, would she? She would have told someone. We know that she had dealings with people who were interested in targets. And we know there was another bomb in Kreuzberg last night. She wouldn't do that. She wanted to live her beliefs. Who doesn't admire that? And there's so much to change in the world. If she wants to live in a cellar filling bottles with petrol, that's her choice. And who won't be heartbroken if she's shot by police? <laughs> you accumulate everything. She didn't trust you because you're hypocrites. Can we take Olga to our room, please, Tana? No, Miss Tana! Call Olga a cop! She's had enough. And is going to pack your things and get the fuck out from this box of rabies! Welcome to a new episode of Split the Difference. I am your host, Jesse. Today I have with me Seth. Hi. JD. Hello. And one of my good friends, Miranda. Hi there. And today we are talking about Suspiria, the original film from 1977, directed by Dario Argento, versus the 2018 remake of Suspiria, directed by somebody help me with the name. <laughs> Luca Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino. Thank, thank you. Guadagnino. <laughs> I, that does not roll off the tongue very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. That's okay. Kathy. I even like, yeah. I think when I read the name, my brain goes, Luca Guadagnino. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain does a tongue twister. I, I want to say Luca Guatemala, but that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is unquestionably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But the reason I wanted to bring up this uh, this series of films is because we've had a string of uh, crap in the last few episodes. <laughs> we did, uh, yes. yeah, we did the Halloween remake, and then we did. Uh, I think prior to that, we had the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, both of which I'd love to burn in a fire. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's do two really good movies this time because otherwise, I'm going to snap. <laughs> it's a nice palate cleanser. Yes, aha, that's one of my shows. There you go. Yes. So we're going to start with the original film from 1977, and Miranda is a massive fan of the original film. I've seen it a number of times. JD, you've seen it four or five times, I believe? Yes, I love it dearly. Yes. And Seth, how many times have you seen this? the original film? Um, This was my second watch. Hmm. Okay. So I had seen... I- I saw, the, I saw actually, and the my first watch, which is kind of recent, because I saw the first Suspiria as the new one was coming out, because I wanted to know what it was all about. And uh, it did not help me, because they're very different. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. And I, I'd say this is probably the perfect way to do a remake, is that it's inspired by ideas and concepts from the original, but it is not a direct one-to-one translation. Yes, the director... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 
Uh, I think that's the best way to do this movie because it's got such a huge like cult following in general to try and do a one-to-one remake. There's absolutely a hundred percent chance you're going to piss everybody off. Mm-hmm. I yeah, feel that's like, why uh, I keep cutting you off. I am an asshole. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I was just, I was just going to say that the direct, the director did say that he didn't want to remake it. He thinks of this more as an homage to the original. I can see that. I can see that's that. fair to say. Yeah. Like as his feelings of first seeing it. Hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Miranda, since you're the biggest fan of all of us, I think, um, <laughs> tell us, when did you first see this and what were your, what was the impression you got the first time you saw it? So the first time I saw the original or the original Suspiria, um, I was messing around in my university's um, library trying to find a movie to bring to a uh, Halloween party that some friends and I were having. Um, and I was immediately grabbed by the cover art on the box, you know, and I know this is one of those you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover kind of thing, but that striking like black on white ballerina, um, rather white on black ballerina, just really grabbed me. And I took it back to my dorm room. I watched it immediately. And I was so um, completely captivated by the like super saturated colors and the like vibrant patterns. Um, everything just felt uh, li- literally surreal to me in a way that I was not used to experiencing in my horror media, especially. Mm. It just opened up such a new world for me in terms of this kind of um, that that was probably the first time I'd ever seen any Italian horror films, for example, and that got me interested in more of the like giallo style and and kind of other Italian directors from that period. Even though they're very different in some cases, it just really mm. broadened my whole horizons. Yeah, this falls into the uh, time frame of nineteen sixties and seventies giallo films, which is Italian horror, Italian slasher films specifically, which were all kind of the same. <laughs> Yeah. There's very there's very little differentiation between any of the films. Uh, Argento before this had done films like Deep Red, which is straight up giallo. It is yes. a full on slasher yeah. film, uh, detective and doing an investigation, and it gets caught up in some crazy crazy things that turns into a slasher film. It's very standard, very straightforward. But this kind of took it into a new direction where it adds extreme supernatural elements, and it's very. It's very much a slow burn. There's not much in the way of like deaths throughout the film. It's just creepy imagery and atmosphere. Mm. There's yeah. only about there's only about like what four deaths in the whole film. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like a gore fest like a typical Jello film. Yeah. But when when there is a death, it tends to be like you said, very striking visually. Like the the first one in the movie with Patricia um, coming through the glass ceiling, mm. and all of the build up to it is just really. Um, it, particularly paired with Goblin's music, uh, it just really like ratchets up the like anxiety levels and the tension leading up to her breaking through that glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scores of this movie done by Goblin's is probably one of my favorite scores I've ever heard in any film. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. It reminds me a lot of Tubular Bells from The Exorcist. Did anybody else get that mm-hmm. feeling? Yeah. I can tell It reminds that. me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, Exorcist came out uh, right before this. Is that correct? 73. Uh, I believe so. Mm-hmm. It was 73. Yes. Yeah. So was it possible that Exorcist inspired a little bit of Suspiria? Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very possible. That, that movie was such a huge hit that it that we're still feeling the reverberations of it today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and the negative effects of it as well with the, <laughs> the horrible <clears throat> prequels. <laughs> what? No. Those don't exist at all. No. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting about the film is that there is little to no plot, and yet you're still engaged by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The plot can be summed up in like a sentence and you're done. Yes. They give you it just is. enough to Yeah, it's like uh it's like an art house film. Yeah, it's an art house filmmaker's take upon a horror film. Yeah. It actually so I'm gonna be the big nerd that I am and I've got my giant Dario Argento book at the ready here. <gasps> but <laughs> but I've got like a couple paragraphs where Argento was talking about like uh inspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, um, and some of you guys may know this already, but the like um, Thomas De Quincey's 1822 semi-autobiographical classic Confessions of an Opium Eater mm-hmm. was a big uh, thing that he took a lot of his ideas from. Particularly, that's where he got the the three mothers concept was from that book. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, I thought, that was an, I thought that was like an actual deep legend. I didn't realize that came from that. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also there's an interview in here with um, one of I can't find it now, but there was an interview somewhere in this book um, with I think Daria Nicolodi, who he was I'm not sure romantically involved with at the time or what, um, but there was talk about um, she went to or her grandmother went to a school that like actually taught witchcraft as a part of the curriculum and that was another thing that that made them want to kind of go down that path mm. Mm. I, I will continue to look for this interview as we keep talking but i just thought that uh, that's <laughs> makes perfect sense oh yeah. yeah it makes perfect sense yeah um the actual premise of the film is just that there's this dance school that has um a new student arrive, uh, Susie Banyan, and the moment she arrives, crazy things start to happen. Uh, there's students that start getting killed, and that's basically the whole movie, and it's not really about the plot. It's more about the visuals and the filmmaking. Right. This is one of the few times I could say that less plot is better because, goddamn, the filmmaking is amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's possibly one of the most gorgeous films I've, I've seen in recent years. I mean, I've seen this before, but it was more, it just watching it, after the remake, which has a much more drab style to it, intentionally, of course. Mm. But yeah, it, it was weird watching the uh, the original this morning because we watched the remake last night during our watch party, and it's it felt odd, but in a good way. It's like wow, that is so amazing and, and striking. And I actually watched the 4K version, uh, mm. which, nice. where the color oh. really pops. It really is like expressive. The reds are really really sharp. This was one of the last films shot in three-piece Technicolor, so the color is really expressive the entire way through the film. Yeah, oh, it yeah. reminds me a lot of um, of the Red Shoes, the way it looks. And, of course, also dealing with ballet. That's true, that's true, yeah. Yeah. It's it's very much a... It, it, it is a horror film, but it's it's a fairy tale horror film, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's like a dream gone awry. yeah. It's it's got strong fantasy elements to it, but not in. I w- I don't know. I would almost put it sort of similar for me in in the way that like the witch or the the witch uh, <laughs> would kind of the presents exactly. <laughs> but some of the similar um, 
storytelling type fantasy horror vibes where everything is like kind of folktale inspired in some way yeah mm. i'd even put the lighthouse in there honestly yeah oh, i can see that yes. too yeah yeah uh seth what were your impressions watching this uh you watched this this morning correct Yes. Yeah. Um, I never in my life have seen a film that made me want to touch a wall so bad as that blue velvet wall. Uh, Just, (laughs) first of all, why? But like, it's so gorgeous. I can't even complain. Um, The the set design, do you guys know, was that a set or was that a real building that they were filming in? Uh, DePaoli Studios in Rome, where key exterior sets, including the facade of the Academy, were constructed. the facade of the academy was replicated on additional factory took place in Munich. Shot in so, so Munich airport. The, the set design, if if it were sets, just holy uh, yeah. shit. So it was a, it was actually replications of uh actual locations. Yeah. So that way okay, they could gotcha. just, they could they could destroy the set, they could throw blood on the walls, they could do basically whatever they wanted to, um, because they didn't have to worry about damaging the property. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I think my, my big takeaway watching it this morning was how, how much thought went into each scene. And like, you could almost grab a frame from every scene and turn it into a painting or a wallpaper or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like the, the shot where, um, Sarah's looking out the window and her room's all lit up and colorful and then you see the backdrop of the the rest of the buildings around her and it just uh every every 5 minutes I was just going uh that's beautiful mm. even when um when the blind guy uh gets killed by his dog yes. just the the oh. giant wide shot just just to make it even more lonely and scary and just gorgeous oh my god yeah it was just dripping and oozing with art I love it I just mm. wow Wow, 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 wow. The entire time watching this, I was thinking to myself, did David Lynch like a lot of Jalo films? Because if you look at some of his movies, like Blue yeah. Velvet or Mulholland yes. Drive or, or, or even like Twin Peaks, I'm thinking, this feels a lot like Italian horror. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It totally really does. does. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's hard to not think, not see that blue wall and not think of the uh, the lounge singing scene in Blue Velvet where right. Isabella Rossellini is singing. I'm thinking that's exactly the same shot. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just I mean, and even even the the horror aspects are still like. Can you can you name a more colorful murder scene than the one where the girl gets stabbed and the she's trying the other girl's trying to get into the room and just the turquoise doors and it's just I mean every single color conceptually is thrown onto the screen and I didn't even mind the blood looking like red paint. It just it added so much style. It's just uh, such a stylistic movie. Uh, maybe creep show. Okay, yeah, okay, I can yeah. see that. But that's meant to look like a comic book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I was, so that was definitely the it. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Jordy Verrill. <laughs> played, Bless played, him. Played, played by Stephen King. <laughs> well, I'll be dipped in shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so, when it comes to the actual progression of the story, did you think that maybe the um? the film could have used more meat on its bones or do you think that it's it's fine the way it is i mean i would like to know a little bit more about like why the witch is actually in this academy because the the only scene you get of exposition in the film is that giant exposition dump to udo kier yeah do you think that maybe they could have stretched that out a little bit <laughs> yeah i don't see 
I don't know. Um, I, p- part of this me is really loves... Retro- this is probably retroactive thoughts after seeing the remake because they stretch it out across the length of the film. Right. So, but yeah. Yeah, yeah part of me really enjoys the fact that it's just kind of like fly-on-the-wall storytelling because like it's it feels like days in people's lives there's there's boring down bits and you know we see people just like showing up to work and doing their thing and so it makes i think the excitement that much more exciting and for me really just like sets off the curiosity of like what's happening why is she screaming at the pianist what what happened we didn't see the kid get attacked so why are we yelling all of a sudden and i think that it adds to the overall atmosphere to me so I don't know if I wanted more. I don't know. Good question. Mm. I, I tend to agree with you that I think there are, there are parts of it. I think the first couple of times I watched the movie, I found myself wanting to know more about this coven. What are their intentions? What is their, you know, end game? Are they, is, you know, is this just Helena Marcos pulling the strings behind the scenes and, you know, playing with immortality? Or is there like a greater goal involved here? Um, because they really... I think that's one of the choices that they made in the remake is to really explain, you know, what these witches are about, or at least in 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 its own way to try and explain what these witches are about. Uh, but I think, particularly with horror, sometimes you know, it's always said that the less that you tell, the more that the viewer has to interpret themselves. And I think not knowing what they're doing or why they're doing it makes them scarier. Because nothing they do is actually super scary in the film. It's all how they manipulate other people. You never see one of the witches like directly murdering somebody. Um, mm. It's all ma- magic and manipulation. So in a way, they're not even that scary. But not knowing why they're doing what they're doing allows you to kind of fill that in. It's very true. It's very true. Uh, JD, what about you? Honestly, uh, I tend to agree with the two of you that honestly less is more when it comes to most horror films and you know i I honestly really have nothing to add except i just agree i I agree with everything y'all said i think specifically for this like the way that it's being delivered it adds to it like i yeah if 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 the remake had done this exactly i it would have felt like why the fuck do we need two and a half hours but um that the the approach for that is so fundamentally different that I think it it earns it in its own way and and needs mm-hmm. that. But this presentation, just sit back and enjoy it. Like I, I could totally see like microdosing <laughs> mushrooms or something <laughs> and watching this and just having a grand old time. I mean, it's ninety nine minutes. It's it's a that's a great length for this. Yeah, yeah. It wears off. The the mushrooms wear off just as the movie ends. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a thing we do when New Year rolls around to start off the New Year on a high note. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. High note. <laughs> so since we all consider this film to be damn near perfect, damn near masterpiece, I'm going to propose a challenge to you people. Okay. Pick mm-hmm. one thing that's a flaw in the movie. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's I, I, something. I pointed it out in the chat earlier. All the ADR... Um, does not line up to the lips about half the time, and eh, I wouldn't say that's perfect. And your point being? (laughs) As someone who lip reads because I'm half deaf and I need to, like, see what people are saying to understand them usually uh okay, yeah it, it throws me that. the fuck off it just it is it, it throws me way off it, it, i don't know i grew i grew up with spaghetti westerns so i'm just used to that 
So I'm fine. Uh, so I've I've always been fine with it. Yeah. I I would agree with you that I think some of the ADR choices are are something I would consider a flaw. And as somebody who, you know, I I am used to watching a lot of you know old school. Um, anime dubs from when I was a kid where they would just say like whatever words on top of the mouth flaps and like I just things like that I don't necessarily notice them anymore Um, but I've tried to show this movie to people who are not well versed in you know older films or foreign films not that I would necessarily call this a foreign film per se but like they were just so taken out of it by the lips not matching up with what was being said or you know, when the ADR volume is just a little bit louder than the audio that you were hearing before, or, you know, people's voices sound like they're isolated in a booth when they're supposed to be in a noisy dance room or something. Yeah. It just Mm -hmm. was so distracting for them. They, like, could not get into the movie, and that's kind of a shame. And Mm -hmm. and I'll give them a break, too. They didn't have computers to sync things up the way that I do when I'm editing. Um, It makes sense, but, yeah, I definitely... If I had to give it a tick for... uh, for something it isn't perfect at, it would definitely be uh, the ADR work. Yeah. For those that don't understand, um, in most Italian films, the films were usually shot without sound uh, because they had very short production time. So they said to just crank it out as quickly as possible and get their shots and move on, and they would just do everything in post. This one, they tried to record some of the lines. Like, about half the movie isn't dubbed. Half of it is on on set audio. The other half is dubbed, and it's... It's odd. It it do, it does come off as weird. Like some scenes look like they're natural, and other scenes feel like they're processed to hell. <laughs> it just you know it just it's just part of it. I mean, it kind of adds to the dreamlike atmosphere, and that things don't sound the way they should sound. That's so true. Yeah, it does. Like any kind of mistake you could otherwise claim is a mistake in the film. It's it works because the film is very surreal the entire way through. Right. Right. Yeah. The only time it doesn't quite work is when the uh, the giant exposition dump shows up and Udo Kier does not sound like Udo Kier. No, <laughs> no, he's right. Uh, yeah, who is who's the dub? Frank von Kugelin? Kugelgen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Why not just ask Udo Kier to come back? Like he's I'm yeah, sorry he, he was available. <laughs> yeah, I mean he has a great voice. It's true. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's also in the third film. This is technically the first of a trilogy. Um, a loose trilogy, I should say. Their second film is Inferno, which follows the second of the Mother, uh, the uh, Three Mothers series. And then the last one was Mother of Tears, which was n- bad. Not, not great. <laughs> Inferno's pretty good. I saw <clears throat> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Um, so, Miranda, we talked about this last night during our watch party. Let's uh, talk about uh, when you got mansplained about this movie. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. Because oh. you've got to tell this story. Okay, so um, for context, I work at a comic book shop, um, and this was a couple of years ago, so this is, you know, before even the remake had come out, Uh, but there was this guy, he'd come in probably like once a month, he was a regular, he had been shopping at this store for 15 or 20 years, and he like got into the habit of like when, you know, you're bringing somebody up and you're making conversation, he would try to chat, and it always turned into a discussion about horror movies for some reason and he asked me one day he's like well what's your favorite horror movie and i said suspiria and he was like oh suspiria that movie is so overrated dario argento is actually honestly kind of just a huge hack 
And I mean, but it makes sense that you, of the movies of his that you would like, you would like the most popular one. It's just that's a really common answer. That's a really popular one. And I just, like, he kind of, like, went off this whole tangent about, like, how Dario Argento, and specifically how Suspiria is just, like, not that good, um, it has no story, and it gets by by having, like, really striking visuals, but really it's just an eyesore of a movie, and just, I was like, man, you know, you are allowed to have a different opinion from me, but you do not have to express it like this. This is, like, this is not it. What a dick. <laughs> I hate him for you. Yeah. <laughs> Does this person still come into the shop? Uh, no, no, I don't. I well, it's hard to say anymore because COVID has got everything all screwy. But I have not personally seen him in quite a while. He basically of the books that he was actively subscribed to, uh, most of them ended, so he just kind of <laughs> stopped showing up. Good. Glad. I don't miss Good. him. Good. Good. <laughs> So we all agree the original is um, it's a damn near masterpiece. It's a few flaws mm-hmm. here and there, but overall it's it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. You can it, it's I've we always talk about how um, music can drive a film. Oh yeah, yeah. This like, one definitely you, does. Yeah, if you were to take the sound out of this movie, it really doesn't work. Mm-mm, like not at all. yeah, the the score from Goblins is fantastic, and it's. Uh, is there a do you own a Blu-ray of this? I'm guessing you do. <laughs> I don't. Oh, me? I have a DVD. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, anybody. <laughs> I I have a DVD copy, but there's. I think a couple years ago they put out like a super nice like thirtieth or fortieth anniversary edition on Blu-ray, and I would kill somebody to have that. Mm-hmm. I would throw them in a room of barbed wire to get my hands on. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that. You know, if you want to talk about one scene that stays with you. Oh, my God. I love that scene. Jesus Christ. The, like, flesh tears are so good. God. I'm curious, like, is there on the uh, Blu-ray or DVD, is there an isolated score track? Because some films do that. I don't think so. There is not that I'm seeing on here, no. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, there is a music video. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, by there's a song, the song Suspiria by Demonia. Huh. I'm looking at my DVD. I have my DVD right here. Here, I'm going to take a picture of it for the chat. Okay. I mean, people listening to this can't see that, JD. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> they I mean, can if I, they join our Discord after they hear the episode. Yes, if they join our Discord, they can see it. But um, yeah, it, it really would be a, uh, a huge advantage to have this an isolated score. For the oh, film yeah. as it's going, because like yeah, there's there's lots of screaming and everything, but if you just put the score into the film and just have that be the thing that drives the movie, you can still pretty much understand what's going on because there's almost no plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not. I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but about five or six years ago, well, it would have been about six and a half years ago now. I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and at that time, Goblin was touring, and they were doing exactly that. Like they would play the movie or like project the movie and then play the score live on top of the film. Oh. And I wanted yeah. to go so bad, but I couldn't get anyone I remember, to go with me. Uh, that was one of the reasons I, I watched this movie was hearing about that. Mm-hmm. There is a, uh, the, uh, the lead singer, the former lead singer of Pantera, Phil Anselmo, he has a, he used to have a horror festival every year called the house core horror film festival where he had metal bands play and they would also do screen horror films. 
And I think the first year they were playing Suspiria with Goblin playing the score live. And That's I was incredible. like, what is what is this movie? What is Suspiria? And then I found a copy on YouTube and watched it and I was just blown away. I think that we're going to have to do an, a re-edit of the movie and just remove all the sound and put the score in. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> it's true. We have the technology. We have the technology. I, I Something that really impressed me watching this most recent time when um, uh, the uh, blind guy, uh, Daniel, right? Um, mm-hmm. yep. When he gets killed, that whole scene, they keep cutting to the face of the building and then back to him and then to the dog. And there's no horror visual in any of it, but the score and the sound is enough to make you feel like there is a presence there. And I don't know if I've ever seen that executed quite so perfectly in mm-hmm. anything else. There's no, there's no effects. There's no mist. There's no, there's nothing around him, and yet he is like oppressively stuck in that situation. And it, it feels like there was another actor on set that just got removed somehow. It that that I mean, just impressed the pants off me watching mm-hmm. it this morning. The scene where he gets killed and uh, it's just looking at the top of that building and there's that uh, that gargoyle that's on top of the building. I, you always keep thinking, is a gargoyle going to show up and kill this guy? <laughs> right, right. It seems possible. Anything's <laughs> possible in the movie. It's true. But it's that not knowing that makes the scene so just like, is something going to come out of the shadows? Is there something up on the building that eventually when we cut back, we're going to see it like in um, like in signs? Or like I, I kept I kept going like, what? what is going to happen? Cause I couldn't remember how the scene played out. I knew the dog killed him, but I was like, I'm looking for something that's not there, but I feel it there. How, and just b- being able to express that in film language, just holy shit. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say the remake did that, did that as well. Oh yeah. 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 Especially, um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that scene eventually, but yeah. Well, now that you've mentioned it and we've been, Talking about the original for about a half an hour now. Let's go ahead and transition into the remake. Um, yeah. So we did a watch party last night, and uh, I, the best moment was when Parace jumped into the chat, and it was the scene where Olga gets turned into a pretzel. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That was such a great scene. Oh, my God. So the remake is an hour longer than the original film and mm-hmm. is sort of an inverse of the original. There's... It's significantly less colorful. It's more drab looking. Uh, there's way more depth to the plot. There's a lot more character development. It's almost the, the dancing, the, the fact that it takes place in a dance studio in the original film is may, maybe there for about two scenes and it's gone. Mm. The remake is all about the dancing. Mm-hmm. It is integral to the plot of the film. Yeah. And I said at the beginning of this episode, this is the perfect way to do a remake is that it takes the things that were in the original film and extrapolates them out to make a different, different film. Right. It's, it stands on its own. Yes, it is inspired by the original film, but it is not necessarily a direct one-to-one adaptation of the source material. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's start with Miranda, your thoughts on the remake. So I, I will, We'll be honest that I don't love it as much as I love the original, but that is a very <laughs> high bar to surpass. Sure. Uh, it would have had to really blown me away. Um, however, I did really enjoy it. 
Um, one thing that I think people who are big fans of the original criticize this movie about is like draining all the color out of Suspiria. And while I think that's a valid opinion to have, I think it's like clearly crafted with its own like very careful kind of color theory and it serves the purpose that it's meant to do. And even though it's not colorful in the same way, I find it still like visually very stimulating and appealing. Um, I think my one of the things that I find where I personally feel like it suffers is it it did add a lot more to the plot and it seemed like it really did have a message that it wanted to tell. Um, but every time I've watched this movie, I've kind of come out with like a kind of a different vague idea of maybe this is what they were getting at, but it, it isn't maybe maybe like it feels like one thing is missing. There's something mm. missing and trying to communicate what their bigger like their bigger point was like the metatextual thing that they wanted us to take away. Sure. Um, yeah. And it doesn't quite succeed for me there, which is a shame because they do so well with everything else um, in terms of fleshing out the witch storyline and the character development. It feels like they just dropped a little bit of a ball with whatever their, um, some of their like bigger themes that they wanted to hit home. Mm. Mm. Uh, JD, what about you? So I didn't join the watch party. Sorry, because uh, I'm just I'm a weirdo that this this movie is the type of movie where there's only two ways I would have watched it for my first time. It either in the theater where we're all silent or by myself. So I decided we're going by myself and uh, I loved it. Um, I love it. I love it about the same as much as I love the original. And I but I love it for completely different reasons. I love mm this is the type of movie that I kind of crave in that it is a lot of the weird imagery is there not for plot purposes, but more for feeling for emotional purposes. And I love that. That I would say that in a way like you, we were talking about how David Lynch was inspired by the original. I feel like this one was also inspired by David Lynch mm. and in particular, mm. something like lost highway, which is a very like, a purely visual film compared to his others. Um, I like the look of it. I like the fact that it is, that it looks completely different from the original and it has this, you know, having it give it like, uh, as the director said, a winterish look, it has a very, it, it adds to the very bleak tone of the story. Uh, I find it very interesting that the writer of the movie did not like the original so he was more he was more interested in like fleshing out the witches. That's why they did that was because he was more interested. Well, how would a coven work in real life? So like they dug deep into understanding, well, like how do like so let's just do the research of how covens worked and incorporate that into the story. And that's also why they incorporate they set it in 1977 when the movie came out and have the uh the political turmoil happening in germany at the time as a backdrop to the story mm -hmm. and i find that really interesting and uh miranda i totally understand uh your viewpoint of you know it not totally working for you and it does seem like it's kind of almost tacked on to the the dance studios everything happening at the dance studio but i still like it being mm -hmm. there that's totally fair. Yeah, I, I personally feel like it adds a lot to the film in that 
For those that don't know, this takes place during the time when the uh, the Berlin Wall had just gone up. East and West East and West Germany had been created. There was a divide politically between the societies and the classes, and the government was basically just split. And so you yeah. have this reflected in a microcosm with the dance studio between uh, Madame Blanc, played by uh, Tilda Swinton, and uh, Ma- Madame Marcos, also played by Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Swinton. <laughs> she plays three characters in this movie. Yeah, at and least. She plays three. Oh, man, three characters. Yeah, she looks like a goblin at the end of the movie. Um, <gasps> it's so good. Yeah, the makeup in this movie. Oh, my God, it's so good. Um, but you have this divide between these people in the real world, but then you have this other, this whole other subsection of society where there's this grander problem where these witches can literally do anything they want and they're even infighting with themselves. Right. Yeah. So I, I feel like it added something. It's, if you're not politically in tuned with the, with the, that time frame, it won't resonate with you. But if you dig deeper, it, I feel like it does add stuff. I can understand why people wouldn't like it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like, oh, just you know, get back to the the main characters, get back to the dance studio, get back to the witches stuff, and then you then they like, oh, well, let's insert politics now. Like, it, yeah. it it does feel a bit like it is stuffed full of uh, material, but to me, it wasn't a detriment; it was a benefit. But I can totally understand why people wouldn't like it. I think yeah. I think it's not for me so much the like addition of politics because I think that that does make sense with what you're saying, this kind of um, the political infighting of the dance studio reflecting on the greater, like, outer um, politics going on. I just, I'm trying not to say politics a million times in a row. (laughs) But, like, I remember, like, after I watched this movie the first time, and I did, like I said, I liked this movie, and I wanted to kind of take in more because I felt like something's missing. I must have not understood something. And so... I did the thing where you look at, you know, other people's theories and other people's reviews and they're kind of digging deep into like, did you know that this represents this or whatever? And there was seemed to be a a general confusion of people kind of like, um, not necessarily, like people taking different things away from it, which is fine, but in a way that to me meant there, to me it translated as there's kind of, there must've been something that was not cohesively stated here to that that people are having such wildly different ideas. Like, for example, there was one that I like made a note of just so I could bring it up here. Um, one of them was a, this conceit that the the vehicle of the film was like post-war German women wanted to castrate their World War II collaborator husbands for not having listened to their protests and shrugged off their emotions about reproductive rights and or the Nazis. That was something I also heard. Which is fine, but, like, I, I'm not sure I got uh, that from my first watch through of the film. And maybe not even my second. And I, I, that's <laughs> not to say anyone's um, interpretations or anything are wrong, but it, it, it makes me feel like, was there what was there one scene or, like, one line of dialogue or something that they could have just, like, inserted one, like, right in there, and then it would have, like, clicked a little better? Or mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe, like Jesse said, maybe I'm not, like, tuned in enough to that period of history and, like, place in the world. Which is fine. It's, I mean, even, even without that, it's still enjoyable, I would say. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, the film is not for everybody. Even, even critically, the film was divided. Mm. Yeah, even, like, Which from a critical perspective, people were kind of like, eh? That there was <laughs> this, there, there was kind of, like, people just cocking their heads to the side, like, I don't get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I would say a lot of the critics that I read and I generally share opinions with did enjoy this. Like, I actually, in fact, they were, they were like, a lot of people are going to hate this, but I love it personally. Mm. Mm. Yep. Seth, what about you? You've seen this. You've seen this several times at this point, right? Yes. Oh my God. I- I'm about to drop a meme into the chat because this was my like experience as the movie got announced and then seeing it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't want to check out the discord, it's the Vince McMahon uh, meme where he kind of goes super Saiyan by the end. So if you told me that this, that Suspiria, which is a movie that I enjoyed before the remake came out, was going to get a remake, I'd be happy. Um, the fact that, it has this amazing dance choreography, which is something that bugs so me in movies that don't do that well. Um, same thing for like movies about uh, musicians when they hire an actor that can't play the instrument and they're just like mm-hmm. sinking, uh, you know, their their fingers and they're not actually playing the instrument. Bugs the shit out of me. So same thing applies to dance stuff. And then if you told me that they're going to turn it into a slow burn horror movie, listen. The fact that there's a three and a half hour cut of Midsummer makes me just ecstatically happy. Um, I <laughs> I love movies to take a really long time to get to a really good point. As long as it's worth the, you know, as long as it's worth the journey, I'm I, I would watch a five hour movie if the yeah. if the payoff is right. And yeah, then to be, find out that that Tilda's, was my good. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say like that was actually my my big apprehension going into this was going. Oh no! It's two and a half hours. It better earn that runtime, and I think it does. Yeah, it yeah. does. It definitely does. Um, yeah, this is like a tailor-made movie for Seth. As much <laughs> as much as I like the original, the remake was like everything that I would like put on a wish list. So yeah, very very pleased with it. Um, and what's that last one that gets you to go Super Saiyan? Oh, Tilda Swinton plays three characters. There just yes. And and maybe and I, I don't know actually, Miranda. Maybe this will help some of the meta text for you if you ever go back to revisit it. There's a very specific choice to put Tilda Swinton into the only male role that has any choices within the film. Sure. Um, what they're trying to say there, I'm sure you could extrapolate a million different ways, but that feels intentional. I mean, it's a hella fucking flex because she <laughs> destroyed that role. Oh, um, for sure. Yes. I, I, can't, I can't think of a single old guy that I would put in the role instead of her. It's not no. like she hasn't played a man before. Have you ever seen the film Orlando? She, oh, yeah. She has played, she's played a man before. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, yeah. or Constantine, or yeah, she's played... Um, uh, gender diverse characters. Yeah, exactly. That's why she's the best. Yeah, that's a definitely a. a she's iconic. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. I also love the uh, the the fact that before the movie was coming came out, they insisted that it wasn't her; that it was some psychoanalyst <laughs> that they found <laughs> named Lutz Abersdorf. <laughs> like that, like that credit is still in the credits, and the and they were. They didn't reveal it until like a month after the movie came out that no, it was actually Tilda Swinton. But then everyone was like, we know we've been seeing <laughs> yeah. that for like a year. It's it, it it's like telling a kid that Santa Claus isn't real after they've already discovered it. It's like, yeah, I'm just playing along for fun, guys. Let's have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Going back to the length, uh, this film is two and a half hours. And like we've agreed, it does earn that length. And it was Roger Ebert that once said, no good film is too long and no bad film is short enough. <laughs> yeah. Like if this, movie was, if this movie was terrible and was struggling to get to the end, I would, I would turn it off not even halfway through. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it earns its length. It builds properly. And the first death in the film, the death of Olga... Oh God! Jesus, Christ. she doesn't even die there. She's still alive, technically. I by know. The end. Just oh man, she gets turned into a pretzel. Just <laughs> if you're not into the film at that point, don't even bother because you're, it's just going to be another hour long slow burn until you get to the next uh, iconic moment. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's it earns that length. It earns that pacing. But that moment when she gets twisted around and flipped upside down—that's Jesus. And Christ. contrasting that with. Uh, Dakota Johnson's dancing mm-hmm. is so beautiful. The editing of this movie is astounding. Oh, it's oh. perfect. And by the way, Dakota Johnson can do things, guys. We promise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she can do things. This, She's just actually great. really good. This was her um her version of uh what that was good time that Robert Pattinson won where he's oh on the run God. from the cops. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, okay, yeah, you're a great actor. I'm sorry for everything I ever said. <laughs> um I would say more like her, the lost city of Z. Cause th- I think that was the point where Pattinson for, for me, Pattinson was just like, Oh wow. You can go for it. You have to name a movie people saw. Yeah. I, I saw <laughs> that <laughs> after I, I saw good time too. <laughs> like I even saw good time in the theater, dude. Ooh, <laughs> I didn't. A, that was a rough one. Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> An asshole yeah. clencher for sure. I even said in the chat last night that the day that Robert Pattinson and Dakota Johnson star together in a film and they're just flexing their acting abilities at one another, that's the day that this, that there will be the gates of heaven opening up and all will be forgiven in the world. Wait, will that be the ne- the second Batman movie? Oh. Uh, she plays Poison uh, Ivy. Mm, cast Dakota Johnson as Poison Ivy and you've got it. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I okay, that and then Janelle Monet as the Joker. I could okay, yeah, okay. I'm on for that. I would I would put anyone but the people that have been in the Joker roles as the Joker. To be honest, I just I want to see something different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's time. Janelle Monae. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, back back to Suspiria. Um, yeah. So the dancing plays a massive part in this film, as opposed to the original. And mm-hmm. everything is kind of extrapolated out. Like the psychiatrist that's in the original film is there for one scene at the exposition dump. But that character is extrapolated out to becoming a main character in this film. Is there anything from the original film that you wish they'd sort of expounded upon in the remake that mm. just needed probably could have used a little more? Like what would you what would you really have loved to have seen in the remake that they didn't quite cover? I don't I know this is a loaded question. Yeah, I, well and I don't know if it's specifically like specifically from the original, I I don't know in general just about the remake. I think 10 extra minutes of like cool down to maybe explain just a, just a hair more about um, uh, Dakota Johnson's Susie and like how she learned that there was a coven there. And I, I assume anyone listening has seen the movie that she, uh, her plan was to uh, extract revenge on people using her name willy nilly. Cause she turns out to be the real, uh, Mother's Mother Superiorum. Mother Superiorum. Yeah, so, and, and w- which, as far as twists go, fuck yeah, that's amazing. Like, well done. It earned that twist. <laughs> Golf claps all the way over here. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, like, 
there there's no there's no nothing like there's nothing not even like a like maybe she heard a story growing up and um you know I've seen it with her as a kid that would like and not even saying you have to hint to it just just a little extra i think would cuz it comes kind of out of nowhere and the effect is great but i that is where i'm like all right if you're going to give me all this information can i have like one more crumb of information yeah i yeah, agree i can see that i think i had uh looked at like um some other people uh articles and reviews and things and there was one where um what the screenwriter? I can't remember who the screenwriter is for this one, but I guess he David did David an- Koj Nick. I'm this, I'm sorry. I think I don't that know sounds right. But I think like he in one interview, I guess like in one of the dream sequences, she sits up and says, "I know who I am." Yeah. And mm. where's you know that's supposed that is supposed to be telling us like at that point she realizes, uh, or she has realized that she is the real mother of sorrows. Mm-hmm. But I guess like she didn't know before that was it was it triggered by the dream or like was there something else that like I yeah. don't know I I think it, like you said like one tiny extra crumb of information would have like given it a little bit more clarity. Yeah, yeah it, it needed a little bit more uh, depth to like why she's doing what she's doing. Like if she's if she really is Mother Suspiriarma at the end of the film, then. It, it begs the question: Why didn't she just take revenge right away when she knew that they were doing this? It, it's it's a question of: Is she being possessed? Is she actually her? Is it is exactly. she only is she only being taken over at that one scene at the end of the film, which we'll get to in a second? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's never quite explained, and it, I I do think that for everything that I really love in the remake, that's one thing I agree that it could have just give me a little bit more depth to her character because she is a character. She does have depth, but a little bit more would be greatly appreciated. And, and I'll walk it back two paces too. Apparently this was supposed to get a sequel and maybe it was planned for that. So yeah, uh, potentially it was a, an intentional choice in which case again, golf claps all around, but, um, yeah, but this, this film was a massive, massive bomb lost yeah. about $13 million at the box office. It's never going to get a sequel. Um, life being unfair of course we don't get a sequel <laughs> yeah and mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's interesting because the the three mothers concept didn't even get discussed in the original uh trilogy until i think the third film mother of tears mm. yes uh, yeah, they're loosely they, connected because of that third film which is terrible i feel like they discussed it a little bit in inferno i feel like i, rem- I remember that it's been so long since i've actually watched inferno i've seen all three of them but it's been I- i've watched suspiria the most i've seen mother of tears one time and i think i've watched inferno twice but it was a long time ago mm. i watched inferno once and it was not long after seeing suspiria the first time mm-hmm. yeah i remember liking it just as much as suspiria even though it's more fucked up and bizarre <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but that brings us to the ending of the film um <laughs> god what an ending Let's compare these two endings. So, how does the original <laughs> film end, Miranda? Uh, so the sh- I guess like the short version is uh, Susie. Well, it, it's all it, it is a short version. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Susie um, uh, like has a sudden moment of understanding where she uh, it understands what Patricia was yelling out at her in the middle of that storm at the beginning of the film, and she. Uh, turns the special doorknob and it lets her go through this doorway into like the bowels of the school where the coven really like meets and she finds that um, 
Madame Blanc and the witches are actively trying to kill her. Um, and in her attempt to escape from that, she ends up in the room of the directress, uh, Helena Marcos, who, um, she attempts to kill, but Helena Marcos is, like, invisible and she can't see her. But she does eventually kill her with this, um, crystal, uh, peacock thing. Am I right? Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and then, and, and then that's, that's really much the end, like, it, it yep. kind of just, it literally, like, it cuts to credits and it says, you have been watching Suspiria. <laughs> like. Oh, she does go out, she goes outside in the rain and she's, she starts laughing and yeah. is running in the rain. Yeah. Was that, yes. Was that implying that maybe she's been possessed somehow or gained I, powers or, I, I'm, I'm always wondered how to read that ending because it felt ambiguous for ambiguity's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly <laughs> never even considered that, but that is an interesting thought. I do yeah. have those sometimes. They hurt, but I do have them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's a very abrupt ending. We had uh, when we discussed the film Zero Hour back in uh, oh a couple of months ago. It's like it's just it just kind of stops. It just it just there's no like denouement. There's no epilogue. It's just kind of like oh movie's over. You can leave the theater now. I want to buy that <laughs> man a beer. Credits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. How does the remake end? <laughs> Gloriously. Yes. Beautifully. <laughs> Actually, um, I, would, I, I would love, uh, Miranda said, said something uh, during the stream last night. I'd like you to reiterate talking about the nudity in that scene. I just thought it was like the, the coolest point. Oh, mm. um, so I felt that uh, this is was a good example of um, all this nudity, specifically female nudity, that does not feel... Um, super heavily sexualized or like under the male gaze it has a very um naturalistic almost like animalistic quality uh particularly given the dancing that they're doing and and the context of the moment um but it it doesn't really feel gross it's not the point of the scene it is part of the scene but it's not like for your viewing pleasure in that way i mm -hmm. i think the impact of the scene is lost without it yeah so the movie ends with Susie uh, coming down to the basement um, to find the, I, I, I guess, uh, uh, Mother Marcos, who mm. was kind of claiming to be the um, Mother Suspiriorum, right? Mm -hmm. She was taking on. She was pretending to be the true uh, reincarnation of Mother Superiorum. Right, and they're trying to perform a ritual that I guess will let her inhabit uh, Susie's body. And then, yes. presto, changeo, Susie reveals that she is the true mother and has summoned a demon to explode every goddamn head in the room violently. Jesus Christ! Yeah. yeah, all all the all of uh all of the people who voted uh, Marcos to be the head of the coven, right? Yeah, yes. Instead of Blanc, yes. If you um, want to have a a demonstration of uh, uh, extremist political divide, like this is what it is. Yes, <laughs> this is like straight up the uh, visualization of what happened with the Berlin Wall going up, East and West Germany, basically at odds with each other because this wall is in place. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the politicians claiming uh, claiming uh, allegiance to certain powers and uh, revealing that they're actually following a false leader. Right. 
Like, this is why I think the politics does help the movie because if you have that backdrop and you have that understanding, it's it works as a metaphor. Oh no, (laughs) not a metaphor. (laughs) I said last night, I god damn it, this movie's making me think. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking watching people's heads explode. Um, yeah, I, I, so every time I suggest this movie to people, I say, it's going to blow your mind and then wink. And I always, the next day we'll get a text message. Fuck you, Seth. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't see it coming. It is so, it is so, I mean, it's the perfect ending, but it, it, it goes so hard in the paint. Uh, I, I think that's why it. I mean, obviously, it's going to stick with you because it's very gory, violent, and um, you know, like like we're saying, it's driving the point home of all the metaphor. But uh, just something about its presentation, its execution, uh, it is it like the all of a sudden the last two and a half hours feels like five minutes. It feels like all of that gets just pumped into this last you know uh, mm-hmm. ten minutes of the film, and then we get a, a really nice you know kind of emotional let down uh you know a little denouement uh out the end so we we can recover for a minute because if you cut to credits after that scene oh boy i don't know if that works yeah, no. <laughs> it would feel like oh my god where's the rest of the movie like right. i'm missing like a couple of minutes yeah right the, the the denouement of the film is that there's a psychiatrist joseph uh let me find his joseph kemperer kemperer yes he has been sort of investigating this school to understand you know the process of what the witches are doing and he gets involved in it directly and they kidnap him and they make him sort of a witness to what they're about to do and the backstory of the character is that his he and his wife were separated during the nazi holocaust Mm -hmm. and his wife was interned in a concentration camp and died in the cold during a a census yeah so he didn't didn't know know and it's revealed to him it's, he didn't know it. It's revealed at the very end of the film when Mother Suspiriorma comes to him and says, this is what happened to your wife. And she, because he has been such a good soul throughout the rest of his life looking for his wife, she wipes his memory of all of that pain. Mm. And so he can live out the remainder of his years in happiness. It, it It's kind of a, it's a sweet, a bittersweet ending in that he does achieve some level of happiness at the end of the film. And by the way, his... Wife does appear in the film, yeah. played by Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper, the original Susie Banyan from the original film. It's a nice little nod to the original film. Miranda's she mom appears as yeah yep, appears as a <laughs> appears as a vision to lead him back to the school so he can be kidnapped and made a witness to this twisted, fucked up ceremony going on in the bowels of the of the dance academy. Yeah. And by the way, can we just mention the makeup really quick? Because in that scene, everyone is completely nude. And that is Tilda Swinton in full male makeup. They made a whole prosthetic body yep. mm-hmm. for for her. And it looks perfect. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you told me that was an actual old man, I if I didn't know it was Tilda Swinton, I wouldn't question it. I, I, I'd be like, wow, that's that's amazing. It, a, a, a guy did full frontal nudity. And <laughs> then it turns out, oh, no, that's all of it's fake. Yeah. And the prosthetic body they have her in as Helena Marcos is like the most perfect level of grotesque. Oh god. Oh, yeah. There's just there's so like extra disgusting. arms. She's constantly lactating. She's got tumors all over her. It's gross as fuck. It's Yeah, they mention early on that like apparently she has like disease upon disease and that does not do justice to what she actually looks like. Right. Oh yes. god. Ugh. 
Yeah, and like there's a little face down on her crotch that like <laughs> was pop. It reminded me. I don't know if any of you guys ever watched Full Metal Alchemist, but there's a a yeah. villain in that Envy, and she is the amalgamation of like uh, a thousands of people that died in a genocide, and the mm-hmm. the bodies just like spew out of her like liquid, and then like uh-huh. fold back in on themselves, and it just it was giving me like. Oh, that's what that would look would look like in real life. Fuck, I hate it. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Yucky. But I mean, great design though. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a brilliant design. It looks amazing. It's it, it, that's I think where the color really pops because it it's one of the few times in the movie where the color really shows through. The majority of the movie is fairly straightforward and and kind of muted colors because yeah. of the time frame it is set in. It's set in German autumn. It's meant to be politically. Uh, divisive and so therefore everything is kind of depressed and dour yeah but it's still with its editing with its camera movement with the zoom lenses yes it it still feels stylized like there is still a very intentional artistic vision behind the film so for anybody that says oh well how do you compare these two films well like they're both stylized yeah they both have Mm -hmm. their own style they have their own take upon the material and they both pay uh, they both uh, the the remake pays homage to the original film in positive ways. Yeah, it's not spitting in the face of the original; it's acknowledging the original while also doing its own thing. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the color as well because that uh, final scene or the big scene uh, is probably the closest in terms of those like really bright, vivid, raw colors that people mm-hmm. who are fans of the original movie like. Mm-hmm. That's that scene. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely red. Oh, yeah, just bathed in red. And I have a feeling that the reason it's bathed in red is because people's heads are fucking exploding. Yeah. And if they <laughs> if they had that much gore on top of all the nudity in the scene, even though it's not sexual nudity, that would be hard NC-17. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, if they didn't change the color temperature, and I feel like they did change it in post, but I've it's kind of like with uh, Quentin Tarantino and Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah the uh the switch to black and white <laughs> switch to black and white like it takes away the color and it changes it to being not so graphic right it's yeah it, but the only negative i'd give that scene is that the shutter speed uh effects yes yeah. oh, that was yeah. weird it, but i liked it, it. it it's homage to the 70s and i get the i get the like the thought behind it but i agree it's not it goes to it, it goes too long yeah yeah it it goes on for like a like two and a half minutes it's way too long <laughs> well I i'm think... the weirdo and I also, um, I mentioned this when we had our watch party last night, but like Tom York singing over that scene takes me Ugh. out of it a little bit. Personally, I like it. I would. I like the whole score actually. I, I I did enjoy the score a lot more than I thought it was going to. For <laughs> knowing what I knew about it going into it, um, I love the theme. I love I love the Suspiria theme. Yeah, the, the Volk itself is like the best track on that soundtrack. It is yeah. so good. Yes. I would watch a a recut of that finale with Goblin's music, though. That would work perfectly. Hmm, that'd be that would be really cool. I yeah. wonder if it's on YouTube. Who knows? <laughs> Somebody not, has to have done it. If not, we could make it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, now, but um, yeah, I am I am disappointed. This film did not do do well to get a sequel because the original is a trilogy, and unfortunately, we're not going to get a trilogy with this remake. Nope. It's heartbreaking because it 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 definitely deserved it, and I would love to see what the next story could be. Like, I mean, not necessarily remake Inferno, but there's a lot you could do with this character. Now that you know that she's Mother Suspiriarma, what's she gonna do with this with this uh, ability out there in the real world? Right. 
Yeah. Like how, what's the next, does it, does it take place like 10 years later and you move into the cold war? Like what, what happens now? It, it's also, it gives a really cool opportunity that um, she can apparently switch bodies. So you don't even have to have the same lead in every movie. It could be like a mystery of figure out who mother Suspiriorum is in every film because she switched bodies and she's secretive about it. Yeah, it it could be. Uh, it's like the original trilogy where they're only ever so tangentially connected, right? By a thematic element, and that's it. Yeah, it is unfortunate. They got my ten dollars though, so <laughs> yeah, we got mine too. <laughs> we can all dream someday, maybe someday. Yeah. You know, it, it's not it's not unheard of for critical darlings to get. Um, sequels, if they even if they didn't perform well, like apparently the sequel to Annihilation keeps getting like greenlit and redlit back and forth because it's like it didn't make any money, but it did. Everyone really liked it, so who knows? Well, I mean, we got Blade Runner twenty forty nine. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the original Blade Runner was a was a tank at the box office, and you know we got the remake and or the the sequel, and that also tanked at the box office. <laughs> don't it make Blade great. Runner sequels, dude. They don't make money. I can't have nice things. <laughs> but they're great. Uh, I mean, apparently there was supposed to be a, a, an anime series to continue that, but I I don't. That was announced like right after Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out, and I guess it's put on ice because the movie didn't do well. Yeah, hmm. comic books are coming out. There's at least yeah, that. there are. Yeah, they're pretty good actually. They're actually I actually this is off topic completely, but I highly encourage you to read the Blade Runner comics because they are very very good. I have okay. I have a question to pose to the group. Yes. Um. <laughs> These two films are very different, and I don't know if I'd watch them back to back. However, mm. they both feel like they'd pair really well with other movies. Um, yes. What would you pair each of these with if you were going to do a I double feature? I have an answer for this. Go for it. Go right ahead. Uh, so for the remake, I don't know if I have one for the original, but for the remake, I would pair it with another uh, another like late 2010s weird horror movie starring Mia Goth, that being A Cure for Wellness. Interesting. That was brought up I on like the stream. <laughs> I, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Because it's, like, it's really weird that, that in two years, Mia Goth stars in really super weird art house horror movies directed by very well-known directors. Yeah. She was also great in High Life. <gasps> There's yes, the link to Robert Pattinson. We found yes! it. There you go. <laughs> High Life was great. Yes, it was. Um, how about you guys? Uh, any any other suggestions? I, I I have two in mind, but I'll we'll end on mine. Um, if it was up to me, yeah, the remake I would pair with um, <clears throat> I would pair that with Hereditary. Mm. That also popped in my head while watching it. I yeah, yeah I, I thought that as well. I I know we suck Ari Aster's dick on this show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm doing it again. It is what it is. <laughs> yes. Rightfully so. The original, I would pair it with the film Don't Look Now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I just recently rewatched that. Yeah. I would I pair agree. the original with Don't Look Now, mm. which becomes a horror film in the last, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, because visually they're totally different from each other, but tonally I feel like they fit perfectly together. Agreed. Yeah. Miranda, what about you? I honestly am at a complete loss. I, I think like I had a similar thought that you did, uh, which would be hereditary as a pairing for the sequel. But like, I, I really am not sure. I think maybe uh, these are totally different stories. Um, 
totally different types of visual medium, like, but maybe um, the the Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Oh. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It's um, no. it's an animated experimental film from like 1919 by uh, Lada Reiniger. Um, it is a fantasy storytelling, uh, a fantasy movie, uh, but it's done entirely in paper cutout silhouettes. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the oh. earliest animated films ever. Oh, um, I've seen this. About. I saw yes, this back I, when I, I was in film school. Yeah, and it I don't know why, but I think maybe that would be my pairing for the original Suspiria for its sort of uh, dark fantasy elements. Of course, Suspiria is much more violent, uh, but also the like like uh very like blocky like bright colors and then like solid blacks yeah um honestly i kind of want to pair it with another uh an- actually a director i prefer that came out of uh the italian giallo genre and that's mario bava i'd like to pair it with one of his movies interesting like Which one? something like i maybe maybe blood and black lace that one or or actually actually maybe black sabbath Hmm. Black that, Sabbath, it, I can see that because it, see ha- that it it also is very like visually striking. Sure. Yeah, I agree. It's, I mean, the original Suspiria. It's it falls into the giallo genre, even though it's not really. It really that. isn't. It really doesn't fit into it very well. Like Argento got a start in giallo, like with like the birth the birth of the crystal plumage and the cat and nine tails and four flies on gray velvet. But this is completely different from all yeah. Of that. Yeah. And it it's a genre that was made that was that existed mainly because they were quick and easy to make. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were they were all kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's not necessarily a bad thing, that's fine, but it's uh it was much more of a commercial thing that uh you know the audience is craving it, they're gonna keep making it. It's compare it to like the eighties slasher genre. It's the same yeah. thing. They were quick and easy to make, therefore they keep making more of them. Right. That's why, Jay- why Jason Voorhees got so many movies. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me all I need is a hockey mask? All right, make a million of them. <laughs> <laughs> and make one of them funny. And that's the best one. They're all funny. What are you talking about? <laughs> They're all funny. What the hell are you talking about, dude? I'm talking about Jason Lives. Oh. The best one. Oh, fuck you. Jason, Jason <laughs> Excuse X. Excuse me. Jason, Jason Lives is the best one. Jason no, X, Jason X, has X a bond, is the best has one. It's an opening Bond theme. <laughs> There's J- a no, Bond J- opening. Jason X is the best one because it has David Cronenberg in it, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, but he gets killed. Who cares? <laughs> you know what's better? Nightbreed, because Cronenberg is the killer, <laughs> and he has an awesome mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, I have a question. <laughs> yeah. To wrap up our show for tonight, mm-hmm. these two films are very diametrically opposed to each other. Yes. Yes. Which one would you say people should watch first? Because we Ooh. we collectively agree these are both mm. great films. These are masters of at their of their craft. They understand how to make the films they're trying to make. They're very intentionally made the way that they've been made. Which one would you say is a better choice to watch first? Because if it, in a perfect world, watch both of them. Yeah. I wouldn't yes. say watch them back to back. I would say watch them both, but don't have a few days between them so that way your mind can reset. Sure. But yeah. which one would you say watch first? I'd say the original. Hmm. I would say watch the original first as well because it's simple enough on its own. It's visually striking and it's, it's I, you know, it's fun. 
Um, but you get the opportunity when you watch the remake to be like, oh, so they're going to do this character this way. Or like, oh, I see that this this change that they have made. Whereas I think if you went hmm. about it the other way around and you watched the remake first and you had these much more fleshed out characters in your mind and much more fleshed out scenarios and then you went to watch the original, I feel like you might be let down. It's mm. a good point. Good point. What about you, Seth? See, I think I would do it opposite. I think I would watch the remake first. My reasoning is if you watch the remake first, you get story um, that that's kind of going to fill the pockets of your mind. So then when you watch the original, you're not spending time asking questions in your head. You can really, I think, engage with it on a, on a visual uh, and sound level and kind of be in the moment. And maybe it's just because that's how I watched it this most recent time. Uh, like I said, I previously saw the original first and then went to see the remake. So... I don't know. Maybe that's just, it, I was in the right frame of mind for it to grab me like that, but I was really like in the moment watching the original after having just watched the remake. Um, so yeah, I I don't think there's really a wrong answer to this. You're going to have a great time either way, but uh, if I were to pick, and uh, Jesse was watching these for the first time because of this. Um, mm-hmm. So she she definitely like, wasn't asking any questions during the original while we were watching it because I think a lot of the, you know, supposed answers could kind of be extrapolated from the remake. Mm-hmm. I'm on Seth's side on this one. I think that the remake should go first and this the original should go second, mainly because it does fill in those those gaps mm-hmm. that the story of the original is kind of missing, but, but it, it's obviously intentionally missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. with that knowledge, it does kind of help inform things a little bit more. yeah. Yeah, but I but the original is like we said. There's no wrong answer. It's just a matter of preference, a matter of taste. And hey, look at that split down the middle two (laughs) two versus two. It's like just like the remake. It split the audience in half. (laughs) Hey, so there you go. Yeah, it's it's the film is the the remake is divisive, but I think we agree that it's not a poorly made movie. No, not at all. It just the the marketing for it wasn't very good, and they're just. You know, it just couldn't find its audience. It just—it's a shame. It really could have—it really could have uh, prospered really well if they'd release it at the right time of year. And like, when did this film come out? <laughs> like, it was like uh, November or something of like twenty. Well, like it originally premiered in like twenty eighteen. Yeah, 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 it was like September. Yeah, it, oh, it came out October twenty sixth, twenty eighteen in America. Like, this is spoopy season yeah. filmmaking. Like, why was this not popular? I, I wonder if it wasn't that they. I felt like. Some of their marketing seemed to be relying heavily on the idea that, like, you know, Suspiria, get ready for new Suspiria, and mm, I, I like think like Coke. this was, but, but that's the thing. <laughs> oh. I, I, I feel like mainstream audiences maybe don't know the original Suspiria. Mm, it's not yeah. an unheard of film, but it's you know, it's not, it's not niche, but it's not something that your average Joe would would go out and watch and i think if they had thought like how can we market this at least in our trailers and promotional materials we're putting out like make this seem like something like uh, get it out there to like the general populace and not just rely on word of mouth from other people who are already horror fans already argento fans already suspiria fans yeah i have i have a working theory for slow burn, long horror, sci-fi, things along that nature. I think they're marketed wrong because 
the way the like mindset of cutting a trailer is put clips of the most exciting stuff that will make people want to come see your movie. Makes sense for, you know, Die Hard. It makes sense for movies where the exciting bits is why you're watching. Um, I think that it's wrong-headed for these kind of things because if you look at the Suspiria trailer, it's got clips from, like, the three exciting parts. The the dance sequence, the bone popping out, the, the you know, uh, pretzel girl scene. I don't even know if it had any clips from the, from the finale. Um, you can't show clips from a finale because everybody's naked. Right. Um, so I think the way to release trailers for things like this, things like, um, Midsummer, thing like movies along those lines that are intentionally, I don't want to say boring, but intentionally slow, um, so that the, the audience knows going into it is to release a scene instead of cutting a trailer. I agree. I agree. For a mm. film like this, you, you, this... All those things you're mentioning, like all the pretzel girl, all the scenes of people being violently murdered, like that's like maybe ten percent of the runtime. Oh yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Is like everyone's like, oh man, we're gonna see some awesome fucked up gore, and it's people like standing in rooms talking for an hour. Right. Right. Like like imagine yeah. imagine the jumping scene in the mirror room, if that came oh, out as your trailer, so and it that would have been cool. And it, it cuts on where you think she's about to like fall and break her kneecaps open. That that's where yeah, you cut. It, Hard cut, Suspiria, I remember, go see it. I remember, I remember Parash was last night, we were talking about that, and he was just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Because <laughs> I was like, I was like, get ready for it, guys. And I was like trying to hype him up, and I was like, if it, if it was any other film, I would think, oh, she's going to land on the on the tips of her toes, and she's going to snap her ankles. Right. Yeah, because you keep thinking, oh, my God, something horrible is going to happen, but it doesn't. But it puts you on edge right. just enough to build up to that finale. And, and I think yeah. that if that scene had gone out instead of a trailer and then it just cuts to, you know, the title and the release date, it would have helped people go, oh, so this is like, a, you know, kind of a uh, a sitter and a thinker. And then all the fucked up stuff gets to be a really, like, surprising treat. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, the best parts of Midsummer weren't in the trailer, and that was that made the experience that much better. Yeah, Midsummer the trailer is like barely anything. Like they 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 cut to the um the incest kid in the trailer a lot that you think there's going to be a monster in it and it turns out he's just like he's coloring a prophecy book and he has nothing to do with the whole goddamn movie and I was like that was a that was a swell trick. You really got me into the theater, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Ari Aster specifically cut the trailer like that just to fuck with the audience. I would imagine. I know A24 gives their gives their people a lot of power on that cuz um it comes at night was another one that was like the you can tell they sent that out to a trailer company because that movie is nothing like its trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if A20 if A24 was to somehow get the sequel rights to this film, oh, oh my god. I'd shit. Yeah. That would be insane. Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. and Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Suspiria 2. Mm. See, that's the that's the ending of the Vince McMahon meme for me. Just all three <laughs> of them together in a sequel. Just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, because Tilda Swinton is technically still alive. She didn't get fully de- decapitated. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. And she's that's, still alive. That's that's hints that there was plans for a sequel. Mm. She's not dead. Even after having her neck like broken open, 
they put her they push her head back up. That was but she's <laughs> still like, she's still awake speaks. and she's still uh, conscious and I'm like, "Oh, okay, she can't really die." Mm. So there was clearly plans for a continuation, yeah. but Yeah, that made me happy because I I love Tilda Swinton as Madame Blanc. I love that I love her interpretation of a character. Yeah. Oh, she's it's so incredible. Good. Madame Blanc has like no real character in the original film. I no. She doesn't, but I kind of love it. But cuz she like has this weird, like, waspy, like, um... Yeah. Very, like, oh, Susie, it's so good to have you join us. Now, if you'll please sit down, we're gonna get you signed up for your lessons any moment now. She's <laughs> got this, like... She's so tonally, like, out of place for the rest of the film that I, I kind of love it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. She, her her character is, she's German, movie. and I kind of like that. <laughs> Wait, Madame your Blanc? character, your your character, you're German. There you go. Madame Blanc was German, right? In the original, am I or am I thinking uh, of? Um, no, you're thinking of um the the like strict like dance mistress. Yes, okay. I have. She backwards. looks like a yeah. Madame Blanc yeah, um, was like Alita Valley as Miss Tanner. Yeah, Miss Tanner. Miss okay. Tanner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Her character was your German. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and like scary teeth her character was scary teeth yes, <laughs> yes. scary teeth perfect <laughs> yeah so we both we, we all agree these these two films are masterpieces of their craft i mean it, the sequel the, the remake i should say is not everyone's taste it's divisive mm. um but we all agree these are both high quality films absolutely yes. very much so yeah they're i'd say they're both worth your time you can uh, pick your mood. If you want just uh, a, a shorter film to enjoy, watch the original. If you have the time to sit down and invest, I would say definitely watch the remake. And I, I also say don't watch them back to back. It feels odd. Like I, I said, I was saying in our group chat that it felt odd watching the original this afternoon after watching the remake last night because it just felt slightly off. Mm. Not bad, mm-hmm. but just different. Yeah. So definitely have a few days gap between watching these films because they're so completely different, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So these are both worth your time. So pick your mood. If you want something quick and easy, watch the original. If you want something that's really going to invest your time and your emotions and you want a hell of an ending, (laughs) watch the remake. I'm, I'm not normally the stickler for it, but I think the remake is a no cell phone movie too. Like, intentionally go yes, put it on the charger absolutely. do not put your cell phone away don't 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 wander just this is a movie where you have to sit down and invest yourself yeah yeah definitely any final thoughts before we wrap up guys uh put pattinson dakota johnson and tilda swinton into superior too yes <laughs> that's it would it be a remake of inferno though sure yes uh, <laughs> sure. honestly just I, give us inferno if it was the three of them sitting in chairs i would watch it <laughs> true true yeah what about you Miranda <laughs> um I want to see Jessica Harper make a return to filmmaking <gasps> or and, yes. and be in more stuff again yeah she hasn't done much recently I think she does children's books now interesting good for her hmm yeah she's an author of children's books and uh music yeah what a yeah, talent. Good for her. What a talent. Yeah, I good forgot for her. she was in Minority Report. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, she was? Yeah. Yes. Where, who was she in Minority Report? I don't know. I'm gonna Wasn't look it up she the um, uh, Christopher Plummer's wife? 
Anne oh, Lively. she's Anne. Oh, she's the mother. She's Anne Lively that gets killed. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. That's a shame. She's barely in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. She gets killed by Max von Sydow. <laughs> That's right, Max von Sydow, not Christopher Plummer. They're the same person in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> they both. One they did both... a lot of Bergman movies. Yes. Yeah. And was in The Exorcist. Old yes. old white men with big noses. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, we're coming to the end here, folks. Uh, I believe I'll announce the next episode for us. The next episode will be 47 Ronin. God damn it. (laughs) Because sometimes these remakes aren't good. But they have to be discussed. At least it's passable. Well, it has Keanu Reeves in it. So I'll watch anything with Keanu Reeves. I even watched that movie. What was that? horrible robot automaton movie that he made oh. replicas replicas <laughs> fuck that i no. watched that on netflix i was like wow this is bad I, I would help all of my friends move on the same day before i would do that amount of work to put into a film <laughs> <laughs> he produced that you i know, know. what oh, a favor man. oh god uh but yeah but that will be the next episode we'll record that in two weeks um I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about this series of films because I love both of these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't seen the original in a while, but yeah, it's it's nice revisiting it. It's it reminds you of like you horror films don't have to be us, you know, a, a kill a minute, right? Like a lot of modern horror, in, especially from studios, tends to be like a, it's like action films. An action beat has to happen every ten minutes. Like the Friday the Thirteenth films, it's like a kill has to happen every ten minutes. It's almost like it feels routine, mm-hmm. but there, and there's nothing routine about Suspiria. <laughs> no. Yeah. Either of these films. Yeah. So. As we're wrapping up, would it be a horrible faux pas to briefly plug my own podcast? for? I was literally sentence? about to go over to the plugs. Go ahead and ah. uh, plug away, folks. Miranda, what are your plugs for tonight? Uh, I'm going to plug. Uh, I am on a show with one of my best friends, Kim. Uh, it is called The 13 Club Podcast. Uh, that is spelled with Roman numerals, so it's X-I-I-I. Uh, we talk about horror movies, we talk about spooky stories, we talk about paranormal events, uh, a little bit of true crime here and there, uh, internet oddities and um, mysteries and urban legends. So if any of that stuff sounds of interest to you, you can come listen to me talk about it there on Spotify, iTunes. Does Google Play Music even exist anymore? Whatever, Google Podcasts. Um, we are available. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. Uh, JD, what do you got? Uh, so I have a new podcast out. Um, it is called Comics Quest, where I and a guest host uh, discuss comics. And it's geared toward people who want to start reading comics, but don't know where to start. So it uh, kind of serves as a roadmap. And you can listen to that on Simplecast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Excellent. Why have you not invited me on that, you bastard? <laughs> uh, hey, Everyone is invited. Literally everyone. <laughs> I, I didn't send out individual invites because I want everyone on there. I just recorded an episode last night, actually, with uh, Paresh. Okay. Make it happen. Cool. 2020. I am booked up for the rest of the year, so yes. Make it happen. 2021. <laughs> 2021. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Seth, what about you? Oh, you know, just the usual stuff. I am the pitch master general on the film rescue show where we talk about 
good to shitty movies and pitch better versions of them. You can check that out on all the other podcast streaming things. And I guess with reservation, I'm getting into Twitch streaming because <laughs> that's a thing now. And we got all the rigs set up and um, you can, it's the same as my Twitter at Seth X Decker. If you want to follow me on Twitch, I'm doing Super Mario World speedruns trying to beat my 2004 record. It's not going to happen. I just, I don't have the dexterity anymore, but it's fun to try. Mm-hmm. It's a worthwhile endeavor. <laughs> And we also have companion shows. We have the Palette Cleanser show where we talk about good movies and we just basically just jerk each other off just talking about how much we really love certain films. Yep. <laughs> uh, and what else do we have uh, going on, Seth? Uh, you have another podcast, That Weird-Ass Game. That Weird-Ass Game where we talk about weird and unusual games. The next game we are talking about to wrap up the season will be Spec Ops The Line. Still working on my playthrough of that. Uh, I canceled PlayStation now because fuck that service. <laughs> I, dug, I dug out my PS3 and I'm like, I'm just going to play the hard copy that I have. Um, Streaming games make sense in countries like South Korea where they're allowed to have good internet. But America has kind of fucked us with cable companies and um, our internet's dog shit. Yeah, it sucks. Not it sucks. Good. Don't. Don't use PlayStation now. It's a garbage service. And the other thing we have is a YouTube channel where we upload quick fixes, uh, quick, easy fixes for films that uh, you may have seen and not liked. So we recently did an upload for Silent Hill, the 2006 film, where I basically exposed Christoph Gans to being the horrible misogynistic pig that he is. Uh, We're doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work. And we fixed that movie in about 20 minutes. It was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Appreciate that. I was also listening to your uh, to your God- Godzilla episode earlier, and that was also very good. Uh, I agree with you, Seth. Roland Emmerich uh, is not a great director. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> bum, bum, I, yeah, I did, fuck I, you for making Stonewall. <laughs> I, do, I do like his... What was that uh, William Shakespeare movie that he made, though? What was it? Anonymous. I do like that movie. Hmm. Yeah, Risa Fons is really good in that movie. Um, the rest of it, not so much. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's acceptable. Yeah, because it has Risa Fons in it as as the person that Shakespeare supposedly. I hate the fact that he's a Shakespeare truther. Fuck that. <laughs> eh. Among other things, fuck that. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't feel like getting into a debate here at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that brings us to the end, folks. Uh, appreciate everybody coming on tonight. Uh, I know it's uh, – we started at 730. We've gone an hour and a half talking about Suspiria and uh, the remake. This might be our so. longest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, No, no. Wages of Fear was our longest one. Oh, that's one. right. That's right, because we, we talked went, about capitalism. We, <laughs> we talked about how capitalism sucks. <laughs> Just, yeah. Doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on, Miranda. I appreciate it because I-, I knew I had to bring you on for this episode because it's your favorite movie. It sure is. And I, it would have, it would have been offensive to you if I did not bring you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm very, I'm very happy you brought me on too because I love, I love the original and it gave me an excuse to finally watch the remake. Oh, of course, yeah. And so that brings us to the end, folks. I appreciate everyone uh, attending the time. Uh, discussing these two films tonight. Thank you, and good night. Goodbye. Good night.